Hello, this is Gabriel Thibault with Breaking Expectations, a podcast about the joys of disability and all that it includes. Here you'll hear stories and roundtables of individuals who have gone through different journeys in their lives than the one that you think you'll take. But the twist of it is, if you're lucky enough, you'll take this journey too. So the first question I have is how do you how would you do you want to describe yourself to the podcast um to the listeners and viewers of this podcast? Okay. Um my name is Tracy O'Dell and I would describe myself as a lifelong advocate on disability issues. Yes. Many different ones. Um just because of my background of growing up in the institution, I've been very committed to services that help people to be able to live in in the community on our own terms. Is there a key moment that you've seen positive change with disability independence first personally? And then after we'll talk about um, the wider independent living. Yeah, I guess I kind of felt things were changing probably in the early 80s around the international year of people with disabilities. There was a lot of attention on, on the way people were discriminated against because of disabilities. Um, the barriers that we had to deal with for employment, for school, for raising families, to healthcare, like everything. So there was a lot of attention being paid to that, as well as starting to um, put ramps on buildings, which for me was really crucial for access, um, because the city was basically full of insurmountable barriers, right? Like you just could not get into buildings um, and they were starting to put the curb cuts in the corner so that you can wheel, you know, your wheelchair up. And so for someone like me using an electric wheelchair, um, you know, since I was in high school, um, that was very important to me and, and very liberating. Um, I grew, because of my age, I kind of grew up at a time where things were not in place and it was not expected. Um, like it was, I was taught not to expect the world to change to accommodate me. I was supposed to figure out how to overcome those barriers on my own, like with my own resources. So there was that headset that was starting to change where the world was starting to shift um, and be more welcoming to people with disabilities. So that gradually, gradually um, has continued over time, um, you know, but there's with a couple of, of setbacks, you know, in terms of philosophy, but um, over time, I would say that that has continued to increase since the early 1980s. Do you remember what, I know the 90s were considered the decade of disability, but do you know what year, um, the year of disability was in the 80s? 
1981 was the International Year of Persons with Disabilities, and that kickstarted it all, all off. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Because I do know that um, DNET started in the 1990. But is there a key change you would like to see come in the future? Well, what I'd like to see in the future is that things are put in place that accessibility has been thought about at the beginning. So there's been a good planning process and thought process. Um, usually accessibility is given to be an afterthought um, and then people won't want to put it in place because it's too expensive or inconvenient or, you know, something like that. So I'd like to see accessibility being thought of that way. Um, and I would also like to see our community kind of band together like we did years ago. Like nowadays people are all doing their own thing. You know, they have their own um, videos that they wanted to go viral or, or things like that, but people are doing their own one-off kind of campaigns. And I think there's a lot of strength in numbers and people grouping together. So we've seen a bit more, um, a bit more examples of people grouping together where, you know, one group will form a, a letter that they want to send to the government and you know, um, to have something done or to have something not done. And they'll get 200 different organizations to sign, you know, so that's the nearest things that we're coming to, you know, having a coalition, but um, it's, I'd like to see it more organized and more pre-planned, pre like planned ahead, rather than just um, someone has an idea, they, you know, they're going off with it. Uh, you know, like a gun off the goal, um, and then others are just tagging along. Like, I'd, I'd really like to see it be a coalition and come up with, you know, concrete policies and, you know, be more organized that way. Okay. You and your late sister, Sandra Carpenter, played a role when the Center for Independent Living Toronto was started. Do you, what do you remember about that time? Well, I wasn't a player in the formation of the Center for Independent Living. That was really what my sister Sandra was um, committed to. Um, she worked with the um, Community Occupational Therapist Association um, to get it going. And then I think they had a difference of opinion as to what the services should be. So my sister saw it as, you know, an organization where people with disabilities were helping other people with disabilities, giving each other advice and helping each other 
steer their way, you know, um, through the, the world and being able to live independently as they wanted to. Um, and I think that was counter to what um, the person from CODA, Community Occupational Therapy Association, um, I think they maybe wanted to be more of a clinical approach to it. So anyways, um, they, they parted ways and then eventually when my sister came back to it, she was able to shape it um, as to what it is now. And I think also SILP had a, a big influence on the other imp independent living centers around the province, you know, because they were wanting to emulate the best things that were being put forward. So SILP does a lot of things they did in the, back in the day and they still do, um, but they're in response to what the people seem to need who are calling them up and contacting them. Also the, the strengths and the skills of the people that are attracted to come and work at SILP. So um, yeah, and I mean, that became the hub for the administration for the direct funding program, which was considered to be very controversial. And the day um, the government didn't want to give people with disabilities our own funds to hire our own staff. They thought it would be abused or that other people would take advantage of us. And, you know, we wouldn't get to spend the money on the services that the money would be siphoned off for something else. Yeah. And um, anyways, there was, I was in, involved with that committee to just demonstrate ways that it could work and ways that we could be accountable for the money so that that would need to be a concern. And so now the program is, is still running like, you know, decades later. So it's, it's a very successful program. Now, when did that, what year did the direct funding program start? Oh, off the top of my head, you know, I would have to look it up okay. on self, but I, I'm pretty sure it's been around for over 20 years now. Yeah, yeah no. It, it definitely has been. It definitely has been twenty years because it it was running. It was running when I came to. Yeah, Toronto maybe even maybe even twenty five, maybe even twenty five years. Yeah, because I know there were a few people before then that lived independently, using order order and councils. Yes. Um. Now I know you. Helped set up the DNet digital archive. Why do you think this is so important? Well, the DNet archive is kind of a little snapshot of history, right? So, like, it's a time capsule of what was happening at a time when we were ex were both exposing the the things that were problematic for us. And at the same time, there was an effort on behalf of oh, governments and sometimes private employers and sometimes just, you know, everyday people to um, take the barriers down so that we could live our lives. So I think DNIC helped to um, catalog that um, just by demonstrating, making um, films and shows around the various like news articles or so on. Um, they were capturing 
major conference that was held in Vancouver around um, independence now. That was a, a very strong um, conference. Um, people were, I wasn't there myself, but from what I understand that people went there, felt that it was very uh, a bonding experience, right? So a lot of people who went there were advocates and it strengthens their sense of advocacy, um, their connections with people right across the country. So it wasn't just like your little neighborhood, you know, in your city that you worried about, but you saw the commonalities right across the country that everybody was facing. So it was, it was good to meet people. And all of that is documented in programs as I was going through the programs and cataloging the content and seeing the people who were speaking at different things. And it's like, oh yeah, that person's still around now, you know, or quite a few people are not still around, but I, I know the names of a lot of people who are very influential in government who made things happen, you know, and, and pe people who were influential among our community of people with disabilities. And it's like, you know, I know a lot of those names as well. Is there an archive story we should watch? There's like a lot of ones, a lot of ones. Um, I, I, I like the ones that were showing um, employers who were making it possible for people to be employed in the community, making, you know, like making a living, getting paid real work for real pay you know, or getting real pay for real work, I should say. You know, I like ones um, like that. Um, just from a historical point of view, to see um, what people had to say, you know, about legislation that might be coming in, into being and, you know, this kind of thing. Because that was the beginning of trying to push for, in our province in Ontario, to push for the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Like that started, you know, quite a, a long time before it actually happened as well. Is there any, other, is there anything else you would like to say before you, before we end this interview uh, to, um, to the um, DNEX project or DNEX community or, you know, to even think of this as a time, time capsule for people listening and viewing in the future? Well, I mean, it is a time capsule, but I know that, you know, Don Paramaki, you know, who's one of the people who got that started, um, you know, was talking about D next, like, where do we go next with with this and you know doing like a then and now you know so what has changed so maybe there's a show around how it came to be that we have curb cups and so what does that mean to people now and is that still a, a fight to be able to do it or what does it mean to be a, a, a parent with a disability raising a child like you know, what's the same and what's different, you know, in terms of how people relate to you as a parent, you know, what are your issues around getting um, healthcare, you know, all of these kinds of things, um, like what has changed? So some things have changed, but maybe not as much, 
you know, um, uh, as you put it, it's like, like we have, we got, we got ask access to what was put in place then, but as more and more things come into our world, there's more technology, there's more information technology and so on that necessarily has not kept up, you know, like if you use um, JAWS as a screen readers, a lot of the websites are not accessible to that. A lot of programs are not accessible. I use Dragon naturally speaking for um, typing because I don't type by hands anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of, of programs that can't understand Dragon when you're trying to dictate in a little box on someone's questionnaire. Maybe it's, it's programmed to take it. Maybe it's not programmed to take it. So there's a lot of things that still are not um, done. So it'd be kind of nice to do a show with, you know, here's a screen of what was said, you know, 40 years ago. And is that the same or different today? And just talk to a bunch of different people and ask their opinion, you know, have we... Did we solve that one? You know, did we is, did we fix it, or are we still living with some version of it now? For this podcast interview, do you, is there anything I missed or anything you want want to say um, before we um, sign off for this little interview? Well, I think um, what you're doing is really important because it's giving a voice you know, to people to bring their, bring forward what is important to, to each person as part of their community. I think that's, that's really important. Um, I think it's important to do it well, you know, to learn all the, the, the craft, you know, so it's, um, it doesn't, like it's, it's professionally done, it gets respect out there, you know, it's authentic. You know, it's got the voice of people with disabilities behind it. Like, I think that's really um, important to do. Um, great. I, again, really want to thank you for your time. Um, I, I definitely want to, I definitely um, loved hearing um, your insight. And, you know, there were, more people I wish I could interview. And um, the idea of actually um, look researching into the symbol to what I still think is a major symbol of accessibility that everybody sees every day when they're out and about is the curb cut. And um, before I, you know, before things go any further. I thought for the, I'd probably work with some people and research for like a magazine article or a blog about the curb cut in Toronto because I do think at least in Toronto and Ontario it was definitely a physical symbolism of independence. So, you know, you and you inspired me on that. But again, I do thank you for this wonderful interview and uh, I'll be getting back to you when it's posted up. Okay, great. Thanks, Thanks Adam.
thank you for listening to Breaking Expectations, a podcast about the joys of disability. This podcast was made possible with the support of the Centre for Independent Living in Toronto and the Ontario Trillium Fund. Please subscribe to our channel and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to leave a comment below. Remember that if you don't have a disability now, if you're lucky enough, you'll live long enough to get one. Goodbye till next time.